As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why are you mad? Why are you mad? Why are you, Why mad? you mad? Okay, starting. Hey, Lisa, what's up? <laughs> uh, hi. Hi, Jake. How you doing? Okay. I'm just over here taking a full, big-ass sip of coffee. Like gulp of coffee immediately after saying yes, I'm ready to go. <laughs> My bad. Hi, how are you, Jake? How's it going? I'm good. I'm just chilling. I'm having a pretty chill time right now. Um Yeah? Yeah. Well, so I'm reading a lot. I have an inverse relationship with uh Twitter in a weird way where uh-huh. My Twitter is at its craziest when I'm reading because I'm on it a lot because I have like ADD mm. or something. So when I read like yeah, theory yeah. and shit, especially real thick bullshit, you know, it's exhausting. Reward, so you take a little break. Yeah, every yeah. chapter. Or so I reward myself by looking at Twitter. So if I'm doing that all day, I'm like more on it than I would be if I was just doing something else. But I'm not reading it as really like yeah. just throwing shit. You're into just it. saying shit out there. And to be honest with you, I totally get that because that's how I was when I was tweeting a lot. I would tweet during work. Yeah. And it was because of that because I'm like working, so I take a little break and I would tweet. And I don't really tweet on weekends. Uh, but that makes sense that you're just like tweeting and doing stuff. But since I've been avoiding it. Um, not avoiding it, but I honestly just busy, <laughs> just like doing other things in real life. And uh, whenever I do try to look into it now, it's just so annoying, honestly. And then like, it just seemed like, um, so I didn't know that Skankfest was happening. Cause like, why would I? <laughs> and then I saw, <clears throat> oh, uh, one of our listeners who uh, he wrote, or like he sent us that, I think it was a comedy store podcast, right? Yeah. Sorry, I totally did not say I was going to talk about this to you before. But I don't care. You know me, man. I'm always down. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just funny as hell to me because uh, so I didn't know, right, that it was happening. And then uh, one of our listeners sent like sent us a clip from the comedy store podcast. And it's Jeff Garland just being like what the fuck is a skink fist or something and then he's like yeah and then he's like no that's like a real thing and then the comedy store guy's like yeah it's like an east coast comedians thing and uh and then jeff garland totally just like makes fun of the type of person who would either go there as a fan or would perform and allow their name to be associated with skink fist yeah and you know totally out of context where i'm not looking at the (laughs) i was like this is hilarious like i played it oh actually i didn't even click on it um when our dear nice listener sent it to us uh because i was oh i was in the ceramic studio so i'm like i got dirty hands and i'm taking a cigarette break yeah i'm like oh i don't have time to fucking listen to this shit but then you did a tweet where you like put it playable in the tweet you know so then i played it and i was like that is so fucking funny. And then I just retweeted <laughs> that. And then somebody like the me was like, oh, have you, or is this because of like comedians posting how they're having a great time at, at Skankfest? And anybody who thinks Skankfest is bad is just like a hater. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, is Skankfest happening right now? <laughs> like, I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> I already blocked most of these people. I guess a lot of the comics who I haven't blocked or who we're still like following each other, you know, we probably don't interact that much. So algorithms don't even show you to me anyways. So the first thing I saw was the Jeff Garland thing. 
And then I started to see the ones of people being like, so like, oh my God, I had a great time, which whatever people do after every single comedy festival on earth, no matter how bad it was. So I don't give a shit. I just think it's funny. I mean, I'm also a comedian and I like things that are funny and make me laugh. So, uh, I haven't been like in it, you know, like getting emotionally involved i just yeah. it's very funny to me because like a friend of ours <laughs> did mm-hmm. Skankfest and then did the fucking stupid end of the festival summer camp i had a great time thing yeah and was like but they used the, the sentence i thought was really funny which is that these are really great people they're not the incels you've heard about and i was just fucking laughing at that to myself and you know decided yeah. to fire off a few about it i just my new thing is whenever i tweet about them i just uh, mute the conversation immediately Immediately, what's his face gomez is like retweeting me and shit and people are yelling i'm not seeing any of it i don't give a fuck oh great perfect okay great that's what i wanted to know because from me like dipping in so like first i retweeted your thing and then i started to see stuff and then i noticed that like uh you know your tweet had like it said it had like a number of replies, but then I click on it and that I don't see those. <laughs> so then I was like, oh, okay. So maybe it's a bunch of people already blocked her yeah. replying to Jake being dickwads. Uh, but I was like, that made me think, oh, maybe, you know, Jake is going through it right now with people saying shit to him because this is it. No, this, which no. if the festival is so fun, why are you tweeting at other people who are not at the festival? That's weird. <laughs> No, I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Yeah, I know. And I'm glad you're like uh, embracing the mute. That's I, great. I'm I, glad to hear it. I didn't realize that I released my album on the day that Skankfest started because it's just an arbitrary <laughs> date that the record label picked. But yeah. it's pretty funny because it came out like day one, I think, which is like a week ago or something. Um, well, let's talk Friday. about that. This is the one that you recorded multiple times. Sort of. I recorded it like it, at the Velveeta Room in Austin, which is my old kind of home club, if I could call one club that. Um, it went. I recorded it in like 2018 after the whole ice thing happened, and I had a tour going, and like I was doing a lot of touring, and had all this material that was just kind of like from. Uh, just the 2016 era kind of time and uh and then what happened was because i don't have like representation and like proper resources for this sort of stuff i do a lot of like recording where i'll do it in one set whereas like when people get to record specials they'll take like an entire week of shows and cut them together and stuff like that or just pick the best you know run or whatever and like I don't know, man. I mean, I'm a perfectionist. I don't like the sound of my own voice. I listen to it. I hear all the imperfections. I can hear myself being kind of drunk and stuff. And it's like, I thought, you know, maybe I'll take another crack at it and also, like, uh, do it, um, you know, with a new tag that I thought of for a joke or whatever. And so I was going to record it again when I was touring with Street Fight, or I was supposed to tour with them in 2020. Cause I opened for them a couple times and was like, Oh, this is perfect. Like these, this audience gets me. So like, this will be a good recording. And, uh, and then COVID happened. And then I was stuck in this weird situation where I was like, I have a recording that it's like, it's good. It's fine. But it's like imperfect by my own standards. And then I'm looking at it and going, well, do I wait until comedy comes back or do I just put it out? And I decided to just put it out because like comedians doing like jokes about like, 
like Trump is not in office anymore. And there's like jokes yeah. in that shit about stuff from like his presidency and stuff. And like, I very much like to, you know, wipe everything clean and like start, I already have like a new almost hour going. So like, I don't want to, you know, redo that shit. So it's just kind of this yeah. weird thing where I called it bad omen because I was listening to it and I was like, Oh no one, like, like hearing people laugh. You're like, these people don't know what's coming, you know, like with COVID and stuff. And then like, even in my personal life, shit got really bad, which just kind yeah. of fucked up. Like there's like artistic reasons, uh, comedy reasons that like, it took so long for me to put this thing out. But oh, there's a lot, of, a lot of just personal shit that, where I just yeah. kind of fell off. So I don't know. I mean, it just lives in this weird space for me, but I feel, feel pretty good about it. I gave it a listen through and I got really cool album art from Ellie Valley and stuff. And, um, I don't really I think uh, I'm not overthinking what an album even is at this point, you know, like I, I this is kind of where my head's at and why I was like, oh, I should talk about it on the show. What, why make albums anymore? The reason for making something like that and like recording a performance and creating a product has changed over the course of like my career as a comic. Like it used to be people listened to comedy albums and you as a comic sold the CDs and stuff. And like people like really got famous off of them. Like Kyle Kinane's first album, every comic of my age talks about it. Like, you know, not, not everyone, but my age and my style or whatever, all talks about that album. Like, Oh man, I listened to it on repeat, you know, while I was working and delivering pizzas and stuff. And like, it's such a good product. And I wanted to make that album. Everybody has that goal. I wanted to make death of the party. Um, but now I don't really know that that's the case. Like sometimes I go on Spotify and I'm like, Oh, I wonder what the new Canaan is, the new Stanhope or the new whoever, or like my friends or whatever. But I just feel like, you know, it's, you're contributing to this huge, massive, weird tapestry of just what comedy is. And like you record something, you just kind of put your little mark on it and it doesn't mean anything. It's like, it just feels good. And it feels like cathartic and stuff. And like, also money is like not a thing that I was entering into this at all. <laughs> like I used to get into huge arguments with other comics where they were like, you have to self-produce because then you get to keep all the money. And I signed with the record label and I was just like, I'd rather have these people make it for me. I'll give them some of the money and also yeah. I'll get more listens and thus probably make more money altogether because like this dream that we all have where we're like these little entrepreneurs who are selling our own albums. Well, I don't know. Like it wasn't, it didn't really seem to be what was happening when CDs were stopping being a thing. And now it kind of came full circle. And I'm thinking I'm going to come back around. Now that I have like a fan base, I'm like, oh, okay, I should start producing my own stuff because I'll actually listen to it. I think it's kind of why I was stressed out about this is because I'm like, I'm not sure if this is the perfect cut of this material. And I know people are actually going to listen to it because I have like podcast listeners and shit. I don't know. What do you think about all this? Wow, very interesting, Jake. I'm not sure where I'm at. A lot of questions hanging in the air. But ultimately, feel good. Yeah. And uh, I took down a lot of notes because uh, in a way, you've kind of like clarified a lot of my own feelings of what I'm going through in comedy on the other end of it, not being an artist and a creator. But first to address you and being an address, uh, an artist, (laughs) an address, an artist and a creator. Um, 
I think it's fucking really interesting what you're saying because it shows self-awareness. But again, honestly, that's why I'm your friend, why we're friends, is that I enjoy the fact that you are um, self-aware and self-critical of your art and like not just your personal art, but like the art that you are a part of, you know, the, the system that you work within. Um, because uh, I think a lot of people don't realize that like making an album, right? So like stand up, right? We all would agree that the real, quote, real stand-up is what happens in our live room, Yeah, right? That's why I don't record very much stuff. But I like right. to do an album every few years because I'm like, okay, well, yeah. I'll get the best take of it maybe possible. And there was yeah. also stuff like, you know, when I would be on tour, I would have people like, uh, oh, you didn't do the ice thing or whatever because they heard about that from a podcast. And I'd be <laughs> like, well... I mean, I guess I could record it and put it on YouTube. I should probably just record mm-hmm. that so that people who like specifically come from the viral yes, nature you're of jumping that. Ahead. Go ahead. Yes, yes, yes. You're jumping ahead, but I like where your brain is going because that's exactly. I mean, this was your idea that came to me from you talking, so this is a shared idea. <laughs> but uh, you know, this is what's interesting, right? Like we all agree. I think every stand-up comic and like real head, let's say, <laughs> and. Uh, I don't know, not probably the business people because they can't really make money off of the live version. Nobody can, you know what I mean? And that's the problem that I have, not because I want to make money of it from it, but because I was really trying to figure out how to do it and pay comics at, for their time and labor. You understand me? But there is no way to do it without me going into the hole or, you know, getting a sponsor and then it becomes a corporate, you know, like there's no fucking way around it. There's no money to be made unless it's like selling drinks. And honestly, whatever, it sucks. So here's the thing. The live thing, it is either usually, you know, a let's say let's call it a short set. So anything under 20 minutes. Right. Or it is a long set. So anything over 40 minutes, let's say. Right. And sure, there's like a half hour. There's stuff in between. Sometimes they are featured different things. But like in general, stand up tends to be either um, showcase style where multiple comics go up and do an equal amount of time or headliner style where maybe there's a couple of comics ahead of the headliner who do less time than the headliner. Right. Yeah. So the idea of stand up comedy has to be an hour long, let's say. Only comes from the fact that a show where you have to sell drinks has to be an hour long. You get me? Yeah. It's why oh, a Dave Chappelle can do five hours. Yeah. Or why you can have a great show with a showcase and have a bunch of people do 10 or 15 minutes because it's not about how long the stand-up is. It's that a show has to be one to one and a half hours. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> you get me? that's weird. I never thought about that. Yeah. And so, and it's why I prefer a showcase because the the setup is more of like a gym, you know, where everybody gets equal time and then you get to see all these different um, comics go up and ostensibly you would also get to see the taste of the person booking it. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. Turns out Luis is an idiot who thought that that's what was going to happen when she was a kid and <laughs> started going to clubs. But anyway, um, I digress. Uh, so that's the thing. So the, the the length of it is determined not by the artists and not by the art, but by the spaces in which it had to be sold. Okay, so that's one thing. And then the second thing is that the way in which it was sold was determined by 
the um, ab possible avenues of distribution. Okay, so that before we were even doing um, CDs and shit, we were doing records. You remember? Like, I don't know if you're old enough to get like to have bought like LP, big fucking actual wax records. Oh yeah, I had a Gallagher uh, record at one point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like people, you know, uh, like somebody gave me an Aziz Ansari one once. <laughs> so like people, you know, thinking they were cute whenever they made an album, like in between 20, I don't know, 2005 and 2013, they would cutesy print these like well, especially record versions. In the alt comedy like yeah. years because uh, every, you know, everybody wanted to elevate comedy to be like no i'm like yeah. a band i'm cool and everyone fucking yeah. in music shit was really into records back then because that was just like the hipster yep. era and, you know and because they were hearkening back to their how they might have first seen some comedy or heard some comedy rather from their parents playing on a bill cosby record oops sorry but you know it's true likely sure because <laughs> um, fucking yeah. all comedy came from gen xers who grew yeah up and shit like exactly that. yeah okay yeah so, um, so first it was records, right? And it was like people collecting records and then you had to fucking have a record player and carry that shit. Like if you were into comedy and music, let's say, then you got to carry those fucking records with you everywhere you move. And then, uh, we got CDs, right? And so then during all these years, that also led to pushing comics to be like, I must make an hour, right? Or something approximating an hour yeah. because it either had to be two sides of a record of an LP and then later or later, it had to be uh, what would be considered a full album, even though it's on a CD. So it has to be around 12 tracks, around an hour to an hour and a half, you know, like that kind of shit. You know what? Like and, accelerated yeah. that also. I know your, your, uh -huh. your explanation no, no, is the big like materialist one here. But there's also yeah. this other thing that happened, which is that um, yeah. when Louis C.K. first started to like become, you know, Louis 2.0, like he was always around, and then suddenly this thing happened where it was like, Whoa, oh my god, he's... he was so bad at stand up, yeah, <laughs> yeah when he was younger, Do you remember, yeah, yeah, when he, had yeah, hair when he and would shit. wear a suit and shit, yeah, yeah he sucked so and then, bad. And then this thing happened where, like, suddenly there were all these rumblings, like, Oh my god, he's like calling his daughter a cunt and all this stuff, and like, well, it was crazy, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And so when that happened, he started doing he started producing like a ridiculous amount of material, and it was all pretty good, and so people in comedy were like, How's he doing this? And he explained it. Yes. And he told this story about how, like, oh, I take my opener or I take my closer and then I make it my opener and I make something else that's more difficult to tell the closer. That way it becomes I, he like practices it really hard yeah. or something like that. He had this like way of shifting around his material that constantly turned out material and it turned every bit into like a closer level bit was the concept anyway. Who knows if it's right. true in practice. But um, so that was how he was able to do like uh two or three hours within the course of like a year or two which was just faster than most people were, pro were producing comedy hours generally and it, the reason i'm telling the story is it's really funny is because comedians are fucking psychos and like <laughs> they're just so narcissistic and delusional and stuff and i remember when this was happening a particularly unhinged few of comics i knew who were always like very insecurely kind of bragging about what they were doing in their careers, all started picking up this habit of talking about their new hour, which is a phrase that had not existed yeah. until like 2009 or something like that. And then Ooh, everyone was like, nice. my new hour. Oh, are you working on your new hour? Well, I'm working on my new hour. And it's just a stuff that immediately jumped out of me. It's like psycho shit. Yeah. Interesting. I know. I guess I never realized when that came in, but you're, you're right. That is something that, and what's related to that psycho thing of it, I think, is that, you know, at the beginning I said we agreed that we all think 
that the actual stand-up comedy art is in the live room and can't really be captured in a way that can be sold, right? And part of that, uh, or or because of that, or how do you say that? This That is part of the reason that comics, like most comics, aren't good at listening. Like they don't want to listen to their own material. You know, they don't want to do the work of creating this extra thing that you sell. They don't want to listen to their own voice. They don't want to like pick the artwork, you know, like any of this stuff because that is not where the actual fun and art is for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the thing that they're told that they have to do to do the job. So when people embrace the fucking um, material capitalism of it and are just like, yeah, I'm going to buy into the link. Like literally they become people who are like office people who are like, yeah, we'll do a workaround and then I'll, I'll circle back and then we'll pin a, put a pin on that part and then fucking <laughs> order. And it's like, Ping me. yeah, that's how you guys sound too. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, they, you, there is a version of the office guys in comedy. Yeah. You get me? Totally. Yeah. Um, but so where, where was I going with that? But yeah, so the point being that they like, I do think it's useful to separate those two things, right? The doing and making of comedy from how are you going to package and sell this if that is your intent, right? To make money off of it, right? So before the packaging and selling of it was based on who controlled all of the live venues and what type of show and how long the show had to be, that that decided both the content, honestly, like if they had rules about language and shit like that, and um, the format, meaning the length of your shit, right? Yeah. And then, uh, and then it was distribution possibilities, right? So then that became first record record distribution, which was like much more difficult to be an independent record distributor, obviously, or get your record independently pressed. And then it became CDs and tapes, and so it became slightly easier for people to get access to distributing their content. You know, like they could make in the way they like. In hip hop, there was mixtapes, and so you know, there yeah. became ways to, um, or like for example, <laughs> for young comics, I don't know if they know this, but like, I mean, I imagine comics have to know this, right? I don't know, but uh, like in the 80s, and maybe even like the into the 90s, I want to say maybe late 90s, I don't know, bro. Uh, yeah, because email wasn't like a real everyday thing until like after 9 11, right? That's or fair. To say maybe. that's fair, right? Because yeah. I I remember when I didn't have email in college, or like you checked it like once a week to see you know whatever professor sent you or some shit. So that means pre nine eleven, it wasn't like a, everyone uses email all the time, right? Yeah. So in the nineties and in the eighties, and I can't imagine how much worse it must have been before that. Comics who like wanted to work a club or any venue, they would they had to get like VHS tapes of themselves. Okay, yeah. and then like mail those motherfuckers <laughs> to clubs and to bookers. Okay, this is why so if you're, even yeah. today when you hear comics saying like uh, that they need to put a clip together, they call it a tape, even though it's like a it's an online. Even though clip it's not a tape, yeah, exactly, because the language yeah. is just like persists. Exactly. So, and that language didn't exist pre VHS and beta. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Because there was no tape. Like, what did they send reels? Probably not. I don't think so. So they probably had to go do live auditions, yeah, auditions. before VHS. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why that's still around. What's yeah. funny though, not to cut you off, this is a real quick no, thing no, that just occurred it. to me. Yeah. So auditions are still around and they're a fucking farce. Like when you yeah. go to a club, it's like they're not 
using this system still, but it's still around because it serves some other purpose or like, I don't know. We just like pretending that that's like still part of it. And um, in the same way, like part of this for me is kind of, I kind of have complex emotions about putting out like albums, like through record labels and stuff, because like, all of this stuff in comedy is so farcical, like credits and stuff like that. And one of the funniest things to me is album release parties. Cause it's like <laughs> no one buys computers and cars don't have CD drives in them anymore. So oh, like, right. what are we doing? Like we're pretending like we're yeah. doing this thing from the past, but like no one. And also I honestly, as a comic don't want you to buy my album. I want you to listen to it on Spotify and then like, give me money when you Go. see me or something yeah. or like come see a live show or something. I don't yeah. want to put stuff out through this like archaic way of presenting it because it doesn't really fit for what I'm doing anymore. And that's why it was so hard to put out. You know, part of this is like I had to deal with a record label that I signed a long time ago when I was a younger comic and I got into a mm-hmm. deal with them and it's made it harder to put shit out because you have to put it out via this complex process of fucking printing CDs and like putting the thing, you know, there's advantages to it. Like it gets on radio and stuff and I don't have to do that myself, but then it gets advertised a little bit, but then also like it takes fucking forever and you have to record it all in one say, you know, session with like the person that they have and stuff like that. And like, this to me actually is, I'm kind of glad I got it out because I've just been trying to get this fucking thing out of my to-do list or whatever, because now I'm done with my record contract and I'm free to just record shit and put it up on the internet, which is what I do all day, every day anyway. And like, I think that to me, if I could just constantly record material and throw it online, I, that would be closer to what is happening on stage when I perform live than this like shiny polished concept of like an album. So like, you know, I mean, yeah. I'm on Twitter all the time. I, as a creator, am a constant stream. Like I'm a constant thing. I'm a constant presence, yeah. not like a, a, you know, big shiny product that appears once every once in a while yeah. or whatever. So yeah, totally. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I totally agree. I think that's where you should go. I mean, if you think about it, I, I agree about the part that you're saying about it, like being closer to what, you do or who you are as an artist in actuality in these in this short format but also like think of the fact that like um it short short audio format i think has more potential now on all the platforms that is being used and even video right so like you could benefit more from recording like one bit you know one three minute bit with video and whatever and putting it up on various platforms as a short three minute thing that is you doing stand up is one bit. And then you can go even shorter with track like length, kind of just digital tracks. It could be just audio or with video. You know, a lot of the reason the comics that some comics I've heard still do the albums just other than because, you know, they think they have to is because of what you were saying of like the the radio play but more importantly because they don't really seem to get that much money from that but they do seem to get sound exchange money from satellite radio play yeah yeah i don't know i don't know about terrestrial but from satellite radio play and so uh from what i've heard the key there seems to be uh creating enough clippable meaning like made into tracks because if you've ever listened to like serious comedy channels you've heard those like you ever listen to those? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm on. I mean, I'm yeah. also on that shit. Like, I, I yeah. record bumpers and stuff where I was like, that's yeah. my new album. Now here's somebody else. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay. So I used to fucking, like, listen to the shit when I 
<clears throat> when I worked like back stock and shit in grad school and it was like uh just random fucking tracks of different so it would be like uh Red Fox and then it would be uh Christian Finnegan <laughs> and then it would be like you know just like one bit I mean one track out of a random album yeah right? it's super weird yeah I fucking loved it. It was really great. And then, uh, but it, what's strange is that basically all they need is like two to three minute clips that they treat as like song tracks. You get me? Yeah. And they just shuffle through them. And so um, some, they do have some uh, X-rated, not X-rated, but whatever, like X-rated language channels. But so what I've heard is that what you should do is make sure that if you do make an album, that it is, um, that the tracks are two to three minutes long, I believe is the length. Yeah. Um, because, you know, sometimes comics will make them much longer or much shorter to be funny. <laughs> so don't do that. And uh, because then they're clippable and use, usable for like uh, satellite radio comedy channels, right? Yeah. Comedy stations. And then, and then if you do all or a good amount of them clean then they can be used on all comedy channels, not just on the ones that are specifically dirty language. You know what I mean? Right. So then you end up getting a lot of money from sound exchange. So I think there must be a way that you can do that without having to hand over like the 13 tracks at once. You get me? Like it could just be you put out three, three minute clips that are ready to go. They can go into yeah, I you bet I, mean? I bet there sense? is because I yeah. just feel like we're bogged down in tradition and like Yeah. Also I think I'm uh I need to go back over my contract. I don't really care that much honestly. It's like already signed, mm. but like I think it might be splitting money with the label because they technically help me put it on sound exchange and yada 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 and it's a fucking label yeah. and it's bullshit, right? But like also uh what I the sense that I'm getting from all this stuff Whenever I deal with people who are like stuck in time in in this particular way in the history of you know the changing formats of comedy and them being like why well, capitalize I I uh, profit off of this this one type so therefore I need to perpetuate this type of putting yeah. out material is like I always feel like um, it's just crazy because I'm millennial and we're aging I'm in my fucking mid thirties now, but like, I always still feel like a younger person who's like, these people don't know you can burn CDs. These people don't yeah. know you can just upload your shit by yourself and they don't know you can mm -hmm. do all this DIY. And I also feel like people in the industry, like other comics don't realize like you don't have to obsess over these scarce fucking outlets that we're all trying to get in. Yeah. You can't like, we have all the tools in your fucking home to, just make all of this stuff and you probably could get it like you. Yeah, I think you're right. I think if we looked into it. You probably could just put your material yeah. directly to fucking uh, pitch it to, to the radio stations and then get the serious money off of it and stuff and the sound exchange money. Um, but people don't do it because they're, I think that, that um, what it's like one person has to be the pioneer of something like that. They have to go out on the frontier, you know? And then once there's like tracks yeah. in the snow, there become these, these little like like our our conventional wisdom starts to adapt. Like that thing I was saying about Louis, like the his, Louis FX deal, right? Like the and, uh, or the, the thing I was describing yeah. with Louis in his hour. Like anyone yeah. could have done that at any given point, and it's kind of absurd yeah. that no one did. And then as soon as he did yeah. it, everyone's like, "There's a path. I'm going to start doing that yeah. path or whatever." So I'm guess I'm looking. I'm thinking about this like paths in a fucking forest covered in snow, and I'm like looking around, going, "There's all these like untrodden." 
what go do, do some shit over there, you know, but but it seems like the tendency of people is to be scared because we're little stupid liberal entrepreneurs and we're like, you know, what's do I, what should I invest in GameStop? You know, what's the hot thing yeah. or whatever? Everyone's following and not to leading. be fair to them. It's probably not just that we're stupid. <laughs> it's also that, you know, you're you want to be artists, uh, to be honest with you. Like, that's also why, like, managers can take advantage of you and all that shit, because. You want to be artists, and so you never really planned or studied or looked into the business side of your industry, you know, and what it takes to make money and what's going to be asked of you and what your rights are and, like, any of that <laughs> shit. So you're just like, uh, yeah, I'll do what you say, manager. Yeah, I'll do whatever. Uh, and just, like, trust. I, You know, I can see how just doing the fucking hour that is full of fluff and material you wouldn't even be proud of, like, um a week later, <laughs> you know, uh, seems like the easier path than being like, I'm going to try to make a different thing. Um, because it, it, it's hard. I'm asking a hard thing, but I think, you know, it's worth thinking about because if you're killing yourself over like, you know, I don't know. I even have 30 good minutes. Like, what are you fucking, and you, you think 30 minutes isn't good enough because you're a headliner, let's say, and you usually have to do an hour. You can put out 30 minutes digitally. Right. You could put it out separate, all chopped up into three 10 minute fucking things. Like you could literally do whatever the fuck you want. And there will be people who will watch it and enjoy it. Like, dude, you could start a Patreon that's just all your stand up bits and shit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It seems possible. Um, that's why I like people that break away from the convention and put out like stuff. Like, I don't know. I had a friend a couple years ago who just like, he just was like, fuck it i recorded all of my material on a tour on like a little camera edited it real nicely and put it up and yeah. it was good and i think he was the whole time he was putting it up he was just asking the question why aren't we supposed to do this like why am i supposed to be pitching this stuff to comedy central and spending years trying to get on jfl and stuff when i literally can yeah. just do this and i was like yeah no, you have a good point mm -hmm. you know and like when comedians yeah. release albums like brent weinbach made an album one time that's just like it's not really stand up. It's just weird sketches that he came up with. You're not supposed <laughs> yeah. to do that, but he did it. And mm. It was funny. And I don't know. I like stuff like that. It sticks out to me. And I also, but I also, I mean, outside of all this like economic bullshit, I just like making shit. And for, you yeah. know, get guy goes to the skate park to skate. Like it's literally just it. I like making albums yeah. and I have these fucking, you know, I've got the Skankfest reply guys at me now listening yeah. to my album and then like <laughs> tweeting at me about it. And they're like, it's not good or whatever. And, you know, and it's like, like, thanks for listening. I literally don't care. Like, <laughs> you know, I just like, yeah. it feels good. It feels cool to like make a little yeah. thing that you can hold in your hands. And even if it's, I don't know, any print copies or whatever. Um, so it does so, seem like the album that you just put out is a good, um, what do you call it like not like closure but like you're able to put it aside now because like all that material all of the shit you were going through during the years that that material was being written and performed and even all of this baggage of what it's what you thought was expected of you in the format it had to come out in you can kind of wrap it up and leave it with this and start sort of fresh now yeah no, I feel pretty good about it I guess I just kind of like 
go processing my emotions because I was kind of dreading it for a little bit, and I was like, I don't know, like what happens when it comes out? What if it's like not good? It doesn't. I don't think I never really thought it would matter because like nobody listens to this shit really, like not on a large scale, so it doesn't really matter. But like, it also something heavily psychological about like not wanting to put out a thing like that because you're like when i put it out it's over <laughs> you know and then i have to start thinking about something else or whatever but like Dude, but it's like oh yeah okay i guess but but see to your point of like uh having like greatest hits kind of sort of like recorded where you can see it there and then people won't make you perform it live <laughs> uh I would fucking totally share all the time and I think it would be great. Like, how to say, not like a YouTube video because that's not what I mean. I mean like, you know, like a short form video that you could put on social media, I guess. But like, I guess this bit is longer than three minutes, but the the train moving to New York City. Yeah. One, the roller coaster moving to New York City. Yeah. That's like how long? Uh, Yeah, probably like three minutes, something like that. Really? Okay. I, I don't know. Longer. I haven't told that in years, but like, uh, I don't think it's that. Yeah, but that's a good one. I could tell it in a way that I could fit it into a TikTok or something like that, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it would be good. And then actually, I was going to tell you, you saw that on TikTok, uh, like comedian tracks are available as the music that you can pick for your video. You saw that, right? No, that's funny. <laughs> I've, oh I, never my used, God. I never used TikTok. Yeah, dude. No, me either. But then, you know, I follow fucking way too many com comedians for anybody's health. So I am on the cutting edge of the stupid shit that they are getting into to promote themselves. And this one is pretty funny and hilarious and I love it. So I assume that the way that your tracks get on TikTok as a possibility is the same, like, kind of uh, you know, serious process, right? Yeah. And then uh, Chanel Ali, who I used to run a show with, she posted one day on Twitter, which is my main social media. She started sharing TikToks of little girls who were doing one of her bits, right? Like, basically, it's Chanel's voice because it's the track playing, but yeah. it's the little girl, like, acting out the whole bit. You oh, get me? Funny. And, like, acting, like, mouthing it. And they were the cutest things, Jake, because the, the bit is a, uh, you know, I'm not going to do her fucking bit, but her bit is about a... Uh, Basically, like how when her mom got pregnant with her little sibling, she like she was like, oh, do you want to have a little boy, a little brother, a little sister? And she was like, oh, I would, ooh, a little sister sounds great. And then she like shows up with a boy and she's like, this fucking bitch. <laughs> and she does this whole thing slower. She's like, this bitch lied to me. So it's like little girl <laughs> being like, I wanted a sister. And this woman came home with a brother. <laughs> you know, it's super funny, dude. Um, so if your clips... I mean, if your shit is already already out there available, it's like public, you know, I don't want to say domain, but like for public use, then that's another way that you fucking get people trying to find out who's this comedian because the joke is funny. Yeah. Or, I mean, also, though, like, I'm not even that concerned that they find out who I am and come and subscribe. But it's just to my funny thing. and cute, right? I just, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, the, I have the general actual drive to just put shit out there. I hope somebody yeah. does that and they just enjoy it. And that's the end of the fucking story. I was just reading yeah. this book um, called by Eric Hobsbawm. I think I've mentioned it like ten times on podcasts over the last two years because I've literally been reading it for two years because I keep stopping. What's it called? Uh, it's called Age of Revolution. Um, uh -huh. I keep stopping to read other shit so that I understand more shit in the book or also just 
because um and it's about like he calls it the dual revolution he goes through the french revolution and the british industrial revolution and he's basically working his way up and then he gets into fucking philosophy after that and he's sort of describing all of the dna that went into marx like because people say about marx is that he uh combined french socialism british political economy and german uh philosophy so you know that the german philosophy being like hegel and shit like that um and it's really interesting and it's uh you know good foundational stuff or whatever but it's interesting because he goes through he goes through all the history and then he goes through like a few like specific lenses of uh of that era and i just got to the one where he's talking about art and it's probably the most interesting part of it to me because this is like my area of expertise or whatever. But like, um, he talks about this thing that I've mentioned before about how like the novel is this modern bourgeois product that came from after the French revolution when like, liber- like when we got rid of the Kings and now we have, you know, modern liberal capitalist society and everyone is, uh, suddenly instead of having like an upper class that makes all the art and stuff, and then like a lower class that's illiterate and just fucking inhale all day or whatever, you have this like modern world where everyone's super into capitalism. Cause it's this thing that just killed the King and it's cool and everything, but also people are starting to realize like how it alienates everyone and how it turns everyone into just transactions and stuff like that. And once everything is played out long enough to where we, you know, people start to see the horrors of capitalism in like, you know, England and like Dickens starts writing about like, you know, what it's like to be a little orphan kid who's malnourished and works in factories and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, you, you get into this era called the romantics, which is where like all this great shit came from, you know, the burst of art at the beginning of like the, uh, 19th century that contains Beethoven and Goya and Mozart and fucking Dickens and uh, Melville and all this stuff that was uh, like Poe in America and, and stuff like that. All this stuff that like before it, there wasn't kind of a popular, um, well, there was art, but like, I don't know, it's this new form or like new types of people are making it and stuff like that. Um, he described this predicament that these types of artists were in the romantics where they started to realize like the alienation of of existing in this new world and being an artist that wasn't like, you know, being funded by a patron or whatever. And there's this line and I thought it was really poignant where he said that, um, they realized that the market was, uh, a condition of their work, but not the muse. Right. And right. I, that's like kind of, I'm like, oh man, I'm a fucking romantic. I think I understand what these people are saying. Cause like, <laughs> yeah. you know, we always make fun of people who go lose their fucking minds and it be, they're like, no, the market is my muse. Like, yeah, if it makes exactly. dollars, it makes sense, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's usually creates really bad stuff or on some level pop shit that's sometimes good, but like usually, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's where you get like the Nazi comedians and all that shit or whatever. Um, but to me, I'm like, no, yeah, it's just the conditions that this all fits into, which is weird because I don't know what a comedian would look like in a pre-liberal world other than, I guess, literally a jester who, you know, works for a king or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, we're in this like new weird territory way, way, way fast forward into the future where, uh, I'm just like, and another thing about the romantics is that they, um, weren't 
like they were confusing and like they were really, really like, um, I mean, they were really goth and weird and like got into medievalism <laughs> and stuff. But they're also really <laughs> abstract and would make stuff and then go like, I don't know what fucking uh, Moby Dick was about. Like, let's talk about it. I made it yeah. and I don't know, you know. And so they were like doing all this like interesting um, inward like mysticism stuff and like um doing like divining their art out of their selves without literally mm. like understanding it inch by inch which is something that like I, I think that's how art should be made and like that's yeah. i like david lynch a lot because i think he's doing that to like the nth degree where he's just like i don't know it's a yeah. dream i had or whatever you know um yeah. but like i don't know i was thinking i was reading that today and i was thinking about all this like stuff with like you know why make comedy and like what are you doing? Does this have to be a job or whatever? And I think that like put that phrased it in a way I liked, like the market is a condition of this for sure. I don't know, yeah. but there's space in there to say something that isn't directly related to it or is really antagonistic to it even or whatever, you know? And, uh, yeah. So I'll continue to do jokes and happen to yeah. have to sell them, but not like enjoy it, you know? Yeah, I really like that, and I agree with your take. And and I would like to ask you this: Do you can you think of anybody in comedy who has done something where they they are considering the capitalist condition uh, antagonistically, where they made a thing, but it is in direct antagonism of the capitalist condition? <sighs> I don't know. That's the, like... I'm trying to think. As soon as, <laughs> as, soon as you started inching towards, like, that, I was like, hmm. I mean, if... I don't think anybody could. Maybe that's, like, kind they, of a they, riddle. They have an art in visual art. Yeah. You know, like, for example, uh, Banksy's stupid fucking... After the, pa uh, the painting got bought at auction... Um, he pressed the button so that it went through a shredder and came out of the, the <laughs> yeah, frame yeah, yeah, and went yeah. through a shredder. <laughs> yeah. So he created a piece of art that was overvalued and then sold at auction for way too much money. And then he immediately destroyed it on, yeah. in front of an audience that didn't know that was going to happen. I don't think so anyone in is, comedy has the guts to do Banksy yeah. shit. Also, side yeah, note right? about that is unrelated, yeah. but... I went down a wormhole on Twitter the other day reading yeah. about um, this trend in Japan where people do really, really mundane, like hard to figure out um, costumes. Yeah, did Halloween you see that? Costumes? I love it. There's... They do it every year. Yeah, it's well... been going on for like five years now, I think. <laughs> One yeah. person's costume was Banksy pressing the paper shredder button. <laughs> and, it's <just> like... <laughs> and it's just like a guy in a regular outfit. Like you would have to like know all this shit to like understand yeah. what who's being. Anyway, that was unrelated. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> It. Yeah, no, I saw when there was like lady taking out the trash. So yeah. It's just like a lady holding a <laughs> trash bag. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay. Yeah, I really love it. Really love it. And it was like guy who ran out of staplers. And it's like he's just holding a stapler that or ran out of staples. Yeah. So his staplers just like empty. <laughs> oh man, that's so weird. I <laughs> love it. Great sense of humor, Japanese people. But I guess, yeah, if anybody can think of um a product of comedy that is directly critical or uh, antagonizing towards the, the capitalist project or condition itself. 
I would be interested to know because I can't really think of one. I mean, the farthest I can think of is something like Eddie Pepitone. Right, but Eddie he... Pepitone did Skankfest. <laughs> like, he's exactly yelling about Andy... capitalism all day and shit and then participating yeah. in it, like, with little to no remorse, it appears. You yeah, know? Exactly, so exactly. I, I That's think what I was going to say. My answer to that yeah. question, is there a comedian that's done this? I think this is a confusing question. It's like a riddle. Yeah. There probably is, and we don't know who that is because and part you don't know who that of is. comedy yeah. is getting, like... Famous. The, the yeah. famous. Fame yeah. and success and yeah. money are like intrinsically linked with each other in comedy. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as an unknown comedian. I mean, there is, but like you literally don't I mean, know. They that. are, but nobody knows them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, a tree falls in a forest stuff or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I guess some of we're saying they make a sound. It's just nobody's there to hear them. But then this uh, is also another thing, though. Like I was uh-huh. describing metaphor earlier about being in the woods. I think someone can do this at any given point, and it's just no one's I fucking so doing too. it, man. Yeah. That's what's so frustrating about comics, because they're so consumed with the weird structure of the the marketing scheme or cult or Scientological thing that they're yeah. involved in, that like there's all these doorways that are free to walk through, and no one does. And no one does. And honestly, if uh, visual arts, if the history of other arts is any indication... The first people who will do it um, will be people who are not financially dependent on comedy. Um, Because that's going to be more likely the people who will first understand that there's a risk there that they can take and be able to take. You know, that the people who have already like... um, internalized the capitalist measures of Mm. their own success cannot like they can't see that as a possibility you know like they can't see outside of that so um it's i don't know and you know and so much of a stand-up is like uh the vast majority of people who do it stop doing it after they find another thing you know what i mean like acting or whatever the fuck yeah so I guess maybe there isn't like anybody who pushes who spends their whole entire life, I guess, pushing the boundaries of stand-up comedy. George Carlin is the only one I can think of. I mean, like a prior, I guess, but even prior, prior and Carlin, you'd say to some extent, they did become rich and famous, which then gave them that liberty to continue doing stand-up and say whatever the fuck they wanted because they didn't have to please anyone. They were already making money, you know what I mean? So that's what I'm saying. There's not ever, I mean, we're not, or like you're saying, any not rich and not well-off and not famous comic who is doing this uh, critical thing of capitalism, we probably just aren't hearing about them. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, too bad. But uh, if anybody has anything like that, send it to me. That'd be cool. I'd be into it. Um, but it does have to be funny if you're going to tell me that it's comedy. Don't send me a fucking documentary and then be like, this is it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but I actually loved it. Very interesting conversation. And it gave me a lot to think about. Um, also in terms of live shows and stuff, because I think live shows have also changed to be a whole different thing. And I'll think about it more when we can talk about it next week. Um but it, it does seem to be the time to, or a good time, I should say, to 
reconsider what you think your comedy or your art is supposed to look like, like in actual material form, you know, like what you produce out of it. Do you produce tracks and videos and albums or like in what length and to what end and who, who is them? Is it for the market or is the market just uh, one of the conditions that you, that impact to the creation of your art, I should say. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Okay. Anything else? Um, I was going to tell you about a stupid movie, but we can totally talk about that later. I'm also going to try to read a book. Ooh. <laughs> I've been having a great time in life, but still not getting back in the reading. It's still, uh, still have a block. So I'm going to try to read something actually to talk to you about when I come back. I'm going to go to Miami tomorrow for the first time in like 10 years or something. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Um, so we'll see what's up with that. I'm going to go to La Carreta and eat all of the Cuban food I can find. Cool. And then come back. <laughs> Uh, reading's impossible. I have a million books and I'm going to try to knock them all out by the end of the year. And I don't think it's going to work, but I just bought an Octavia mm-hmm. Butler book. So I'll be able to talk yeah. about that on the show. Cause I know we've talked about her a lot. Um, okay. I don't know. Wait, who? You, it blanked o- out when you said the name Octavia Butler. Oh, cool. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Um, as far as other stuff to talk about, I don't know. I mean, the other thing that happened to me this week on Twitter was the, <laughs> I got canceled by uh Christian Twitter for making fun of Chris Pratt. Uh, oh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> but some, I, let me go through my spiel on this really quickly. Yeah, we don't have to get bogged down in it. But what I, what I thought was interesting was, um, so Chris Pratt, I guess, did some Instagram post about like his wife, and uh, he's said all these cringy things in it where he's like, "My most prized possession, other than my Ken Griffey Jr. baseball card and stuff like that," and like. You know, it was just a corny post from a Christian about their fucking relationship, but like uh, people decided to dig into it because there are things in that type of thinking that are pretty gross, like thinking of your wife as property and stuff like that. And uh, so people, you know, were making fun of him. And then there was a backlash to the backlash thing where like people are making fun of Chris Pratt, but he is a Christian. And so a ton of people, I guess, from Christian Twitter started to, like, get really angry at, like, oh, you can't handle Chris Pratt, he's a good man, and all this stuff. I didn't really realize the trajectory of that story. I just logged on, fucking hung over one morning, and saw Chris Pratt, and I made a joke about him. Um, or I mean, a joke, I was fucking around. I guess fucking yeah. around is the best way to phrase this, because I still believe what I was saying, but I was, like, exaggerating and being an asshole about it, just for humor you know uh which is that like what i basically said is that uh oh you know i mean sure he's like a creepy christian now but uh you should have been able to see that back in the days of parks and recreation when everyone was enjoying this show and this guy was like playing this you know kind of golden retriever of a fucking chubby white guy who's very likable and just kind Mm -hmm. of like you know no big deal and the reason i say this is because i I noticed like this trend of characters like that and actors in their careers who start off like that embodying something that's just like american as apple pie and kind of you know undeniably like everybody loves Andy or whatever this character's name is and then like yeah. him Jim from the office a couple other of these guys they all 
like slowly get into military stuff and like Andy from uh, Chris Pratt from fucking Parks and Recreation, yeah. he was in Zero Dark Thirty, like immediately yeah. after Parks and Recreation, and they sort of used his character as this like good old boy, you know, is a fucking he's in the military and he likes drinking beers yeah. and listening to country music, and I was like, this is insidious shit that people don't realize about like yeah. the 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 feel good nature of like Americana and stuff that is there's something really dark and insidious underneath the surface. This is what people make films and arts about and art about shit like this This is what David Lynch gets at a lot of times. And like, you know, he is very much an embodiment of like, he's, he's like a pop country song. I just want to drink my beer and, you know, hang out. And like people look at that sort of stuff and they go, this is not political. Right. So I didn't, what happened is, uh, I, I said, you know, with a tweet about this and I was like, you know, snap, snap, haha, here's my hot take of the day or whatever. And I started to get people yelling at me and I assumed it was comedy people. Cause that's just usually who's mad at me. I assumed it was like edgelords <laughs> and Pepe frogs and stuff. Yeah. And it, it, there were some in there that I started to realize, oh no, these are Christians. Like a lot of these people are like, you know, you look at their bio and they're like, you know, father christ is my savior you know whatever corny shit and i was like oh i'm getting canceled by christian people is really funny um but a because it's not very christian of you to be so angry i think but you know (laughs) this has been pointed out since the days of bill hicks so there's no point in like rehashing that that, yeah yeah. (laughs) um this is old-timey humor like i've been making Mm -hmm. everyone's i've been i grew up in texas like i've was born making fun of Christians. Like this is wow. I can't believe this is still a thing. Um, but what I thought was important about this and kind of interesting and I kind of been chewing on is, uh, the, these people's reaction was very uniformly. This is a crazy take about a TV show. TV shows like parks and recreation are just a good time. They're Mm -hmm. just, fun and for relaxing and they have no meaning and that is where i like vehemently disagree and i think the most insidious part of a lot of propaganda is not that it makes people think i support this thing it's that they make this thing appear hegemonic and so it's normal and it's apolitical and it's like all of the messages in a thing like parks Mm -hmm. and recreation are, the reason they're so powerful and they work so well. Or is probably, skank fest. Or fucking skank fest, right? Every <laughs> fucking person, they all identify as apolitical. They all, they all, the post I did see once I went looking for them from comics, you know, that I'm friends with, every single one, Jake mentioned being like, oh, I don't know what anybody's thinking about saying they're political. It's just a bunch of apolitical friends hanging out, having a great time. Right. <laughs> like, okay. So that means you, every trans joke, anything that was said about homosexual people or queer people or people of color was said under the the banner of, oh, this has nothing to do with politics, even though in politics, all of those groups of people are extremely having a bad situation right now. Yeah. So it's like, uh, no, you're it's a it's political subjects, buddy. What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah. And that thing where you hide inside of it. And, mm. and and it's like you know when I talk about like Skankfest and shit like that in this regard, do not mistake me for thinking this is a conspiratorial effort on their part and that they're oh, really no, no, smart. No, 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 no. Yeah. This is a <laughs> no, no. natural process that dumbass, hateful motherfuckers who are like 
in a social process and making the wrong decisions arrive at. They don't even know they're put, doing it. You put it perfectly. No, you put it perfectly that they are uh, producing with the market as the deciding factor for or like the direction. Yeah. The direction for production is provided by the market. <laughs> yeah. So therefore, it is not actually good art. But whatever. Uh, you know, allow me to uh, hate on the treads for a minute <laughs> because <laughs> you totally did cover the media part of it. Um, but or maybe this is like the algorithm just being a dick to me because I make fun of treads and shit like that. But like when I logged on and I saw some shit about Chris Pratt, what I actually saw was that what was trending was like an outpouring of support for his ex-wife, Anna Ferris. Did you see that? Oh, yeah, because one of the things he said, okay, this is why that happened. In yeah. the Instagram post, he said, you know, mm -hmm. love my new wife, uh, you know, whoever the and fuck her name baby, is, yeah. and our healthy child. And apparently the yeah. kid that he had with Anna Ferris is not healthy. Yeah. So it sounded like he was yeah. like, and our healthy child <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or something. I don't know. That's why that came up. Well, exactly. So what's fucking really weird, it's just like, God, trends are so fucking weird. What are you... <laughs> Why are you reading into the post by a famous guy, like reading in fucking slights to his ex-wife, a famous lady who you do not know also, okay? <laughs> and you're being like, oh my God, how could he not respect his ex-wife and the child from his first marriage? And then you look at the replies and it's people being like, dude, fucking... You know, you said uh, that some people got mad about, like, the fact that he, like, referred to um, his current wife as, like, property in a way and all that stuff. And I'm like, what do you think marriage is? Right. That is what it always was. <laughs> it's all of you fucking fancy little dummy modern, quote, modern idiots being like, oh, no, it's a different thing that I chose to come into because I love my partner. No, you are still choosing, like, I would never... <laughs> like become a clown, go to clown university because I don't want anybody to expect me to do any clown tricks because I don't know how to do them. <laughs> I don't know. That's not a good fucking analogy. But whatever. Like Point it. is, <laughs> thank you. Point is, it was just like such a weird fucking thing for Twitter to show me where it's just like all these like treads because they're also treads. So it's like a bunch of treads right. mad at another trad that he did not express his love for his current owner owned wife <laughs> uh correctly because it is full of slights to his first and former family i guess or whatever the fuck just like get a life what are you people doing i don't understand what the fuck is happening with this yeah nobody but anyway, understands this that shit. guy sucks yeah i this kind and of Anna Ferris me. is actually pretty funny so <laughs> this yeah. you just reminded me of something um I had a conversation with somebody a couple days ago about where they were talking about online dating and they were like talking about it from through this like anti-capitalist lens and going like, doesn't, doesn't getting on Tinder or these apps or whatever make you feel like you're putting people in a shopping cart and like commodifying them. And I was like, um, but the point they were trying to make was this is why like, uh, you should meet people in real life or whatever. And I was like, Oh no 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 no! You're only mm -hmm. halfway there. If because yeah. if you look at your dating app and it makes you feel like you're commodifying your lovers, it's because you are participating in a system called patriarchal monogamy, which is mm -hmm. 
also com- everything you've done so far is commodifying your lovers. The nature of the phone app is just making you see it, which is making yeah, you uncomfortable. Like you can't ignore it. Yeah. That's why I'm like, I just, I'm so weirded out by these people that are kind of everywhere that are like, oh, I don't, that stuff grosses me out. Like online dating, it's so sterile. Yeah. I prefer to do it the natural way, which is like, no, that's just a longer version of the same fucking way of treating people like these, property. Yeah, I used to. I used to have these treads fucking ask me about online dating and then like when I would say that I like a particular type of relationship and I'm trying to date a particular kind of person and I don't offer marriage or children ever and you know like all of this shit is off the table and whatever and I have um, I don't I don't want people to spend money on me or me to spend money on them until we're already something you know what I mean like I have a lot of clarity on the kind of relationships I want to have in my life and these chads would ask me like when I go on podcasts and stuff sorry people that are listening (laughs) this is about uh they would ask me like oh well how do you like establish that with people on on fucking um online dating do you just like sit there and interrogate them and ask them all these questions about whether they would like want to not have children or not believe in god or blah 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 you know like whatever and they're just like horrified at the concept of you having a conversation with this person before you go meet up with them to and like clearly be like, hey, what are we both looking for? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they want to do this thing where, oh, well, first of all, they think it's crazy that I would ask something like, hey, do you ever want to have kids before meeting somebody, you know, on an app or something? But they will ask things like, how tall are you and how much money do you make in a year? And it's like, if you fucking have those dumb fucking expectations and you hold to them, right? <laughs> and you're like, oh, well, I won't date a guy that's uh, less tall than this or that doesn't live in these boroughs or that doesn't work in these fields, then you could also hold to you the type of lifestyle that you want to live, you know, like the type of sex you want to have, whole bunch of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, but also the problem is that they think that Asking questions and having clear conversations is not romantic, takes, quote, the romance out of things. And that what is actually romantic is this idea that, like, a person will message you with a perfect opening line that makes you laugh and feel flattered. And then you will respond with something that makes them laugh and feel flattered. And then you'll have an instant connection and you'll exchange three to five perfect messages that make you want to fuck each other immediately so you meet up that day maybe the next day and then you have a great fucking date and then it's just fucking sparks from there and everything is wonderful and you never once have to talk about shit like hey i would like to move out of new york in the next year (laughs) you know like none of that (laughs) you know like no let's just see if the magic makes everything work out and then they're like i wonder why i'm in love now with somebody that doesn't want kids even though my eggs are rotting or the other one like oh why am i in love now with someone who doesn't want me to be an artist and wants me to move back to her hometown like you're fucking moron yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. Uh, and yeah. like, and I forgot why I got into that, but tell me. Well, the 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 the, the distinction that a lot of these people make is that, like, you know, the magic is like, um, like I was talking to this person, and they were saying that they met their current partner online, and they were like, it was weird because, like, a few dates into it. I started to feel like emotions and like in love with this person and stuff like that. Yeah. And they were like, isn't that strange? Because we met online and I was like, no, like the patriarchy is wanting you to, 
commit to the magic thing. Like it's making everyone yeah. at a, at a, a disadvantage when they date. The myth. First of all, when you go to a bar, you're just doing in real life Tinder. It's the same fucking thing. Like you're shopping for a person. Looking around the room is the equivalent of swiping. But the idea that like that, that like storybook, like movie moment, swelling orchestral fucking feeling where you feel novel and alive for the first time in your life because you're starting to develop a connection with somebody. The idea that that only happens if you go in completely blind to a lot of things is absurd and yeah. it the implications are if like i'm going to use a, a fucking thought experiment i've been applying to a lot of stuff lately if you believe that that's true then you believe that like trans people never fall in love, like on the same level you do. Cause people that are marginalized in certain ways, just automatically online dating makes sense. Like there aren't a lot of, unless you live in somewhere really cool, like San Francisco or New York or something like that. There are a number of people, probably the majority people in more of the more marginalized categories like that, who like, it would be insulting to go, oh, you're not in love unless you, like, went to the grocery store and bumped into, like, another trans person or something like that. F- yeah. Fuck that shit. No, it's perfectly, like, uh, reasonable for people to overcome yeah. all of this stuff in society and then – that's, like, fucking the fuck you. That's more romantic, you know? It's like, Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> what I was going to say. It's actually more romantic because – um, the people you're describing, they are people who believe that the magic is that um, initial pheromone-based excitement and interaction, like physical interaction that happens at the beginning. Yeah. And honestly, you fucking dummies, the real magic is in being seen. How corny is that? But in like the real love, you will really feel love and feel loved is when people see you, even if it's like, uh, you know, I mean it, I mean it in the sense of being loved, like a listener can love you or a fan of your comedy can love you or a person who wants to date you can love you. They love you because they see you because they hear your words or look at your art and appreciate who you are and understand parts that maybe you don't show to everyone. That is fucking the magic of falling in love with somebody. It's not fucking the the false shit that is just trying to make you fuck each other so you procreate you freaking little monkeys <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh my god but anyway go fucking procreate i don't know what are we gonna do somebody Can't probably should shit I'm not yeah right. <laughs> exactly <laughs> like, it's not gonna be me <laughs> couldn't be me not me procreating to talk like the kids on <laughs> twitter yeah, exactly. Catch me not procreate. <laughs> uh, okay, that's it, I think. But write us letters about the things that we say and don't say. Uh, we'll do another uh, mailbag in which we will address uh, some controversy from the last mailbag. Positive controversy, positive feedback. Yeah. Some people got me, but also uh, gave me a slight, what do you call it, calling in, I guess. Although I'm not a trans person, so I guess... It was calling out by trans people. I don't know. I don't know. It was great. It was great. No, it was great. I had some great conversations with people who publicly and privately wrote back to Feedback is cool, and it's good for all of us. And And also, like, our fucking listeners are great people who send us really good, thoughtful letters and feedback, you know, and, like, um, include a lot of uh, 
their own personal story and information and knowledge. It's great. Uh, and then as somebody pointed out to me, they said um, that they're not aware of any podcast that is not hosted by trans hosts, trans people that regularly gets mail from trans listeners, <laughs> like all like different trans listeners. And they're like, oh, yeah, we do. Actually, we have several regular trans listeners and we get a lot of mail from trans people. So that's really cool. And we appreciate the f- feedback and the patience with our growth and learning and all of that. Yeah. You guys rule. Uh, yeah. Oh, so I'm old and guys is non-gendered. <laughs> <laughs> I did a joke on my album about how y'all is non-gendered. And I want to say that I recorded it before Hannah Gadsby's Douglas came out where she did the same joke. <laughs> but I took forever to release it. So I look like I'm ripping her off. Which, you know what? Maybe I am. She's my favorite comedian. Um. <laughs> Anyways, uh, next time you should write the bit down, put it in an envelope, and mail it to yourself so you have a copyright. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they used to do. I don't know. Not with bits, but like you know, people with ideas and shit. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, no, love our trans fans. I have a lot of trans friends on Twitter, and I don't think it's like a coincidence. I think we're all alienated in certain ways, and. The internet is great for meeting people and have fun getting down to that common experience rather than yeah. this stupid tradition of going outside and buying drinks at a bar <laughs> that then makes all the money off of us. Okay. Um, soapbox over. Fucking plugs. Uh, I am going to be on Gabe and Collins' show, Big Break, mm. stand up at The Nest in Flatbush in Brooklyn this Saturday, the 13th. And also, you should uh, listen to my album. It's on Spotify and stuff. Um, you can buy it if you want to on iTunes. I get half the money. I split it with the guy. I did, you know, he did a pretty good job on the record. That's perfectly honorable. But you can also just listen to it on Spotify. I don't give a shit. <laughs> um, and uh, if you do go to iTunes, uh, give me a good review or not. I don't really give a shit. I just <laughs> noticed the other day because the label sent me a, <laughs> a question mark email that I, <laughs> some of our friends from our sister podcast <laughs> decided to review me. And I don't know if this plays into whether I make money off it or not. I'm not really sure. It's a half-ass yeah. endeavor. But if you feel like it, give me five stars. Yeah, do it up. Uh, and then while you're there, you might as well do it for the podcast too, if you haven't already. <laughs> Uh, and for PDA, I don't have plugs, so let's spread them out. Also, give PDA five stars and oh, yeah. Pod Dame America is the full name there. And uh, let me do the producer plug for Big Break Stand Up is the show that Jake is going to be on on Saturday. What's the date? Uh, the 13th of November. It's in like a few days. The 13th of November. Yeah. So it's called Big Break Stand Up. So you can find it on Instagram so you can buy tickets. It's fun. And they have delicious food upstairs i think i've mentioned this show at some point i won't be here because i'll be in miami so please go see jake and have fun right i'm sad to miss it yeah and i'm thinking that i'm not going to do any shows for the rest of the year but we can check in on that when i get back from miami we'll see i'm thinking the same thing i've got shows booked for next year but i'm like really into this winter hole thing just like yeah yeah i think i'm gonna try to read a book that's the only goal (laughs) (laughs) all right all right I'll see you, dude. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.